and welcome to the Daft Souls podcast. And today I am joined by Mr. Quinton Smith. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Quinton. It's been a while on it this podcast. Sure has. But we've been running around in other podcast circles holding hands and making daisy chain things to wear in our hair. I am overloaded with video games that I've been playing. I don't know what I want to talk about first. Well, uh, first of all, I'm just going to briefly also say that we're joined by Mr. Chris Bratt. Jesus! Hello. <laughs> Sorry, I should have uh, should have announced myself before then. He does this okay. a lot. He was just under the tables. <laughs> I know. But uh, yeah, it's a surprise. Chris Bratt, welcome. It's a really bad surprise, isn't it? Are we, <laughs> are we talking video games or are we talking... We're talking video Life. games. Okay, we're talking cool. video games. I was gonna. Um, and actually, yeah, let's just. I mean, me and you have got something we can talk about in a little bit. But sure let's just have. let. Um, I feel bad because Quinn has been carrying around these video games in his soul like a basket full of eggs. I haven't had breast. any opportunity to talk about them. Do explode. Well, all right. I mean, should we should we cover the stuff we've all played? Should we talk briefly about Sunless Sea? Yeah, we can talk. Yeah, about that Sunless thing sea. that we've all played. That was, <laughs> it was. A, I, I, I hear the, it's really good. All the cool people have played, you yeah. know. Simon Parkin really liked it. I remember that. He that did. Was, he gave it a ten out of ten for Eurogamer, mm, and I was, we can't. You're not allowed to reference. It was the last anymore. ten out of ten. <laughs> it probably was, wasn't it? Reviewed so high. Oh, it was. To stop yeah. review, giving review scores. <laughs> Simon Parkin. Really it's awkward. like the end of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where they have the elevation, they explode out the ceiling. <laughs> Simon Parkin <laughs> broke the scoring system. In other words, like it's like it's a barometer, and they keep tapping it, going, "Well, it was a ten for Sunless Sea, but it should it should be going down." It shouldn't. This game shouldn't be getting it. It should be. Go, it's not going down. Yeah. We, need to, we need to cover it up with a blanket. <laughs> so I to be when Sunless Sea is having its high points. I do definitely think it's worth a ten. Um, so yeah, this is the. You know the gist of it, Brad. You. Yes. Um, it's based on the Fallen London, the world of the Fallen London, London browser game. Um, although that, while that was quite jokey, this is uh, this is very dark, very mm-hmm. serious. You are a, a Z boat commander in a kind of underworld. It's like. Uh, sort of Nightmare Before Christmas kind of very dark yet playful yet no it's just really dark again <laughs> London's been taken by bats right etc yeah but then also some really lovely Planescape Torment world warping abstractism like I'm trying to remember if we've talked about this on the podcast before or not I don't know if we have I think we definitely have at some point oh, maybe I was okay. Steve oh maybe I should just Shuttle sideways. <laughs> no, it's fine. Crab I just walk can't. away from this topic. <laughs> cool. We can definitely talk about it some more. It's fine. Well, um, okay. I mean, just to get atop this wobbly pony that I'm now uncertain about riding. Uh, yeah, you go. You go and check on the. iPad, I'll just Matt. check while you can. <laughs> Not that this is your podcast or anything, so then the, you should know. But Queens, the world's been taken over by bats. It has, but also there's some really, really creepy stuff, and the game's pop- arguably at its best for someone like me when it doesn't make any sense at all. Because okay. bats, you can understand, but what if I told you that the market in London, the Grand Bazaar, mm-hmm. is kind of swelling and everyone's worried it's going to absorb the entire city and it won't stop Well growing. then, Quinns, I just wouldn't be able to understand that well, one bit. And that's kind of the point. There's all kinds of glorious stuff. So it, what it does, and the reason it's such a good sailing game, mm-hmm. um, is that when you set sail off into the, the map, you don't know what you're going to find. Uh, you know, and if you're right, and actually, all of the islands are often penned, like written by different people, because this is a sort of mix of an FTL type style ship uh, customization game, and then also a choose your own adventure thingam when it, when cool. you get to islands. But the islands are all written by different authors; they're all radically different. So when you do see the the coastline of an island in the distance, you have no idea if, and these are two real thing, it's going to be run by spiders or if it's going to be run by postmen. All the islands are written by different authors. Not all of them. Basically, a few different authors who you might have heard of, like um, Emily Short. Right. Or, or Meg Jayant, who wrote Eighty Days. Um, do they? Do you not find that they keep trying to outdo each other and like? Well, oh, isn't well, that my, a great my, thing? My <laughs> island is made of, of gold and is on fire at all points. Actually, this sounds like a One Piece episode. That's um, I mean, let's do it. Let's fucking do it. <laughs> that is, but I mean, there is an element of that. Every island is more absurd than the last, okay. not least because the further away you get from London, the more batshit. Things Sometimes, literally, weird. the islands nice. get. I know, right? I was happy with that one. Have we talked about this before? No, I've talked about it a bit with Steve, but it's fine. It's fine. We talked about it a bit. Well, you say it's fine. But it, now you it's say like, it in that way. That it's like, I'm now kind it's of not, fine. not knowing well, if no, any sentence I say will be repeating lovely Steve. No, I don't think so, because, I mean, we, we get this a lot, and I think when games are really good or really interesting, it's fine to have different people talking about them in the future, because they do talk about them in a different way. Mm-hmm. I think I'll just be cautious not to repeat myself too much, because I'm the person who's most likely to say the sure. same things. Well, I'll tell you what, then. I will just, uh, quick, because we've got so much to talk about today, um, I'll talk about the one feature I have that I love the most, which is the permadeath. And actually... 
I'm going to be looking into this next week for a video I'm doing for Rock Paper Shotgun because um, I know that this led to a massive fissure during the development of Sunless Sea. And sure enough, it is a problem. This is a roguelike with permadeath and you can lose your ship and have to start again. And it's also a narrative game with stories and choices. So how on earth do you reconcile those two things um, whereby you die and then you have to go through all the story again? Mm -hmm. And it's a very difficult problem that they've done their best to fix with randomized placements of items and lots of different paths through the islands. So even if you go back to the same island, you can do a different thing. Uh, but the thing I like the most as a result of this is it, it becomes a narrative-driven game, like a sort of Mass Effect style thing, where do you want to save the people or, or butcher them, whatever. Save Except, people. Sure, save them. Except in this game, then there are three or four other options. It's hopelessly morally grey. But here's the thing. It's a game with permadeath with narrative choices. So, for example, I mentioned an island run by spiders before. Mm -hmm. This is the example I give everyone. So if you trade with the spiders, if you appease them, hint, you don't want to appease them. Right. But you can sort of be taken with a convoy deeper into the island and you can find this thing called the Tree of Wisdom, I think. And it's a huge statue covered in spider webs and there's spiders everywhere. There are so many spiders that game describes them as the noise of their legs on the stones of the island is like pebbles being washed up on a shore. <laughs> and uh, you have all these options. You can spy on the spiders. You can talk to the priests who are people who've had their eyes replaced with eggs and all this stuff. And then there's one option at the bottom, which is just burn the tree. And it's just there. And the description of it is something like, you know, this is such an abomination, can't exist. You burn the tree. You mm -hmm. think it will light. There are webs everywhere. And then... It's so interesting to be playing a narrative game and you've got like 40 hours invested in this character and the button is there. Yeah. And it's like, if I press this button, I'm probably going to die. Because I don't know. I don't know if any of those events actually ever kill you or not, but it's the fear. You're right. It's oh, the man. fear have of you, what Have you found happen. the island... The, I don't want to give it... The, the island which is just an old temple and there's a very big button on it and the game is very clear you don't want to press it there's a cup there's a few which I haven't pressed and I'm positive would kill you yeah you're probably right but I, yes I think no, you're, you're correct there, the fear there is sometimes you know greater than the actual risk of death but that's yet another that's still a selling point it's, re it's incredibly exciting to click on the button that you're sure will kill your character you're committed to death but then actually they come through it and suddenly then you're playing a character who has decided to die and you've reconciled yourself with that fact. Like, imagine a Mass Effect game where you select the option, it's like, this will kill Commander Shepard and then the game. And then the game keeps going. What, like, it, it's such an interesting arc That's for your character. Really avoid a very spoilery joke there. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Actually, I, I do I do love... I mean, that's the thing. Sun of Sea's writing is so good. Mm -hmm. It's so good. And some of the... But it's just the bits in between are not very good. Yeah, as in the the sailing and the combat. Or the, yeah, the combat's yeah. terrible. Like the wait, because I thought that would be the bit that that was the bit I was excited about because I hear permadeath and no, no, no. This is the problem. Is I mean less to do with. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is, Quinn's basically has just highlighted that the one reason why the permadeath is quite good. I think that the permadeath generally is not good and doesn't really work with the game. Right. Especially because even though you have this idea that basically once you get to a certain proficiency level, the idea is you can make enough money to like buy a will and have a child. Obviously, that doesn't require money. That requires other things. That I'm not going to go into detail here because it's a family podcast. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you can pass on stuff and it becomes basically lighter, like a bit roguelite yeah, sure. if you have the money. Mm -hmm. And once you get a certain level of goodness at the game, it's quite easy to do that. But then it just doesn't make sense because this thing point? of like you, your heir gets some of your money, not much, but your heir gets a bit of your money and some of your stuff and some of your stats. But then the world is like randomized again. I mean, it kind of works within the kind of idea that this place is just weird anyway. Yeah. But mm. it's sort of an odd halfway house and it kind of feels like the whole heir thing and the whole passing on goods to the next, your next run is less of an interesting mechanic and more of just something to try and soften the blow for the fact that permadeath doesn't really add anything yeah, of value. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, like I'm not gonna argue with the fact that Sunless Sea is the single best game with the single most mediocre padding right. ever. And you know, I can argue for anything, right? That's how I make my living. But <laughs> the and I could make the argument that the padding does actually lend all kinds of things to the narrative. Like, it works sometimes, and as you say, like the whole permadeath thing and the the terrifying options in dialogue trees. That's like, you know, making lemonade with lemons. Yeah. And there's I think there's a lot of moments where the mechanic systems that don't really fit or work do actually shine. Yeah, but you're totally correct that a lot of the time the padding is either too hard and gets in the way of the narrative and you can't actually get that lovely plot that you want, or it's too easy and entirely pointless. That said, I do find myself falling into a lot of traps where even when theoretically I'm fine because I've got so much money... I will just skirt too close to the edge and end up with no fuel and I'll start panicking. And 
I don't know. It's fine. It's decent, but the but the plot is just unreal. But again, I found I found that the problems I faced when I had these moments where like I kind of suddenly realised that I've terrors too high or I'm running low on fuel, running low on supplies is because the actual sailing bit is often so tedious that you just don't <laughs> notice. And you're like, you don't notice that your crew are starving. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I wasn't looking. And I don't know. Yeah, the thing is, though, despite all this, it is still really good. I mean, there's so much like love for that game. The, um, the community will give it some kind of mod just to take the boats out. Sure. And then it's <laughs> then you're playing half a game. I mean, it's it's sloppy, but... I mean, It's I, difficult, but I think it would have... You see, this is the difficulty is if it was just a browser-based text adventure, then it would be better, mm. a bit better in some regards, but I wouldn't have ever played it. <laughs> when as it's a kind of sailing, uh, weird, yeah, sailing, that, that's creepy, roguelike. grabbing me, to be honest. That's what got me in. Yeah. And it turns out I didn't like some of that stuff. So it, it's, it's exactly like 80 Days. It's really depressing how these games have to trick you into reading yeah. <laughs> by like adding these components which really aren't good, but they're what our gamer heads latch onto, you know? I find this kind of intriguing because ever since like... Uh, 2012 with the, when I really got into XCOM like I've been craving games that get permadeath right I think it's mm. when it is done right it's it's superb and um, so I've been playing Pills of Eternity this week and oh. there, there's an, basically an Iron Man mode in that game in which if your character dies it's the end of the game really? and yeah I don't think um, I don't think anyone sane should do that. Well, the thing is, I, I, I kind of, <laughs> I, I dabbled with it just to start with because I, really? I was like, oh man, maybe this, maybe no. this is the next one. Because I wanted to tr- treat the game like uh, a D and D campaign that you know that will kill off your character yeah. if you mess up enough. And I can that, see, I that can was, totally see the appeal in this. The problem is with a game like, mm. um, so if in a D and D game, if you if your character Matt dies, looks like the cat who got the cream and the drugs right now. <laughs> you, if, if, in a D and D game, if you die, your character dies, you get brought back in, and the story continues. If you, die, if you die in Pills of Eternity, you start again, and you you were talking about um, how the the narrative and the decisions you make in Sunless Sea complements the permadeath. Yeah. Not so much in Pilsen because it's exactly the same <laughs> options but every is it, time. Is it easy to be careful and not die? No. No. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I, I no. did play it differently because of that. <laughs> it, you do... It, you don't always know how um, strong an opponent that's, is until you encounter them. That's the problem. Is, is it, what it boils down to is you don't actually know how strong stuff is yeah. until you're fighting but it. But then couldn't you... And it's really hard to run away? Yes. Could you it's just incredibly not, hard to run away. Could you not in- get, initiate the fights? No. I, well, the thing is, well, you, once you're in a fight, you, you have got a chance there to just run away immediately, but you don't know how difficult the enemy is until you actually start Fighting using your abilities it. and seeing yeah. how Why much... Why would they put this in? Well, it, because it, it, it will be for someone that's played it a bunch of times and wants to show off. It was really. a stretch goal. It, it was a stretch it, that, That's the real answer. That's the real answer. And actually, there was a thing, a really interesting thing um, that they put up. It was like part two of their documentary about making the game. Road to Eternity, is that what it's called? I don't know what like, it's called, yeah. but it's... Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a geek, Chris. <laughs> We've already established before this recording that you guys are huge nerds. No, but um, I, basically they said about how like, they, they just admitted the fact that the, the, the Kickstarter did so well so quickly mm. that they had to just go and back into the office on the weekend and they came up with all the stretch goals like, yeah. in a day. Um, because they're just the worst way to design and the way in which a lot of Kickstarter stretch goals are created having said that most of the Kickstarter stretch goals that they've done seem pretty good Mm -hmm. I had a look because I was like well what else have they put in this because I was interested to know what bits of the game had been put in because oh sure they they, they knocked Double Fine off the top spot didn't they they were the most successful game I don't know if they Still are they raised like three million dollars? The original adventure game, like they, the, oh, the, that, the yeah. uh, in terms of the actual Kickstarter campaign outside. Of I mean, rolling it right back, just so people are, you know what the deal is. Like mm-hmm. Pillars of Eternity is basically. <laughs> Do you think uh, we might have lost those people? <laughs> yeah, definitely not. But um, basically, it's kind of like it's very much a game of the Baldur's Gate two, uh, Icewind Dale sort of era yep. style. It's not using the same engine, but it may as well be. It's like, you know, it's like, it's exactly the mm-hmm. same in terms of how it functions. Although, actually, they've sharpened up lots of stuff and modernized lots of stuff and just generally made it a bit less 
horrible um, <laughs> because a lot of those old games were great at the time, but the systems can be a little well, bit tricky. Well, they used Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition as a rule set, which yeah, was, was like so <sighs> bad. Do you remember how it's like you, you got your strength to 18 and then it was 18, like oh, God, 10, yeah. and then 18, 20, and then that 18, the dog, 40. Dude. Do you remember how when you start those games, you roll your stats like in a D&D What? Why would the... Oh, <laughs> why would you ever do that in a video game? Except, yeah, because do... so the, the point is in Dungeons and Dragons, you roll the dice and go, That's oh, it. Well, that's my stats. Here I go. I'm someone yeah. with four intelligence. I guess I'll be a fighter. Oh. In Gate, yeah. Click, you click reroll over and over until you get some really good numbers. Yeah, yeah. The dumbest go, that's thing. That means character. everyone pretty much plays that game with, you know, a, a real good starting selection of stats. So why not just have something that's balanced across the board and. Yeah. Get on with it. Do a video thing. game. God when damn. you played these games, like it was a mixture of appeal. It was a mixture of kind of being that you were running around with a two-handed sword, turning monsters into exploding balls of gibbs, right. uh, which was fun. And I mean, this pillar still does that a little bit. I mean, not as much as like Icewind Dale was pretty much focused on that. It was very much like about the kind of a combat thing. Um, so you've still got that element if you just want to get into the tactical combat. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good for that you've got lots of interesting abilities and I'm finding the combat is like consistently satisfyingly hard you do have to keep pausing and, and moving the, the game around. by default makes you do that when you yeah. run into encounter it pauses the game is like right what do you want to do here Don't you don't just kind of uh, blitz through it like some of the more recent yeah. Dragon Age Inquisition. Why did you go so far away from Origins? I'm not getting well, that's it. Dragon. That's <laughs> it. I mean, if basically, if you missed all of the uh, Baldur's Gate stuff first time around, but you played Dragon Age Origins on the PC and you mm -hmm. liked... If you got a kick out of basically stuff like carefully arranging your tanky soldiers so that your mage can cast a cone of fire yep. in a way that just gets all the enemies but <laughs> none of your guys, and you kind of like... Then Pillars of Eternity really... Tickles that stuff nicely. But with the added selling point for people who've played Dragon Age, that because the fidelity is so much lower, because it's much easier to create assets, like it it has all of this content, so much words, so much writing, so yeah. many side quests. Because if you're not rendering everything in 3D and motion capturing dudes and dudettes, then you can suddenly have huge plots. And I've been saying this for a while. I mean, you were saying earlier quite rightly, you know, often nostalgia is just bullshit. Yes. And I, you're right, it is. But at the same time, I've always felt quite strongly that one of the best eras for RPGs was 1999-2000. Because, yes, like Dragon Age, the first Dragon Age Origins was a great game. And it had some great little plot lines, some great little stories. But you realise that when you compare that to some of these games, like the fraction of great story is like a fraction. Well, yeah, I mean, I was saying this ever since fucking Knights of the Old Republic came out. I think that was the first one that did, that took the traditional RPG. I think because that was Bioware dropping kind of two dimensional RPGs and going three dimensional, and suddenly the game was like. 20 hours rather than 80 hours. And at the time, it felt like I was the only person who was throwing their arms yeah. around like one of those men at. Say you know like car parks where the, they have the air blown the, in and then the floppy arm men. Floppy arm men. Yeah. I think is what they're called. Yeah, they have a name and I've forgotten it. But yeah, I, Windy Willies. It did feel That's like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Let's call them Windy Willies. I was a Windy Willow Willy billowing around, waving my arms, and everyone else was just talking about how pretty it was. It was good, but yeah, that's the thing is, I, I think what I've been reminded of is, is how many pretenders there have been to the throne since, you know, even stuff like, and I get a lot of slack hack for this, but I've I never really been a big fan of some of the Elder Scroll games. I know that Morrowind was, was apparently very, very good. <laughs> I like that you shoot me a sideways glance when you say that. I don't know. I, I like, won't hear anything against Morrowind. Yeah. No, I've never played Morrowind enough to, I played it for like half an hour, but I've never played it enough to have a feel for it. And I, I've, get the impression that it was very, very good. Mm, yeah. However, um, I thought that Oblivion was just unbelievably bland. Sure, no, that's accurate. I got on better with Skyrim, yeah. but I had fun with Skyrim basically when I was just walking around enjoying the scenery. You know, the thing that was good about Morrowind, in not triggering and turning into fanboy mode... But you know you watch David Bowie's Labyrinth and I do. Every you know I know you do every day <laughs> and you watch it and every scene is like what's go what's going on now? Yeah. yeah. That's what Morrowind yeah. was. You rounded a corner and you walked into a town and it was on the back of a beetle and you went okay. Yes. And it, but it was that for the entire and game. And it took you about half an hour to find the t the town because you got some weird directions yeah. written on a piece of paper attached to a tree. You or know what the uh Well, they say that's amazing and that's something that like have, we haven't really seen in like no because it doesn't sell because it's extremely hard to get people excited about the idea of wandering around giant yeah. mushrooms for ages <laughs> but they know what a dragon is they know what a castle is yeah know? no I get that I get that but it's the, the, the knock on effect of that is 
I don't know, like these, you have games like incredibly bland games, sure. Yeah, like yeah. Oblivion and Skyrim, we've got all these books on bookcases, and you know, he's like, why would anybody ever read these? And we were having books? a conversation about this in your kitchen where I was saying, I'm actually not excited about Pillars of Eternity because I haven't seen a single piece of concept art. No one's been able to tell me why the story is exciting. Everyone's just going, oh, it's made by Obsidian. And I'm going, give me more. Come yeah. on, <laughs> tell yeah. me on it. And you did that, but it took you 15 minutes of describing the plot. That's to the me. thing, it's difficult, but it's one of these things where you start playing it. And at the moment when I realized, I was like, oh, this wasn't just me pining after a childhood that will never come back in the way I do with many <laughs> things. These games were all right. Yeah. It was when I like I was playing Pillars and I just opened up, and usually, you know, when you search bookcases in an RPG, you just go, oh, is there any money on them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, no, it's just fucking books. Fuck this. The and books do actually sell quite well. The books do they sell. They do, I forgot that. Yeah. Reasonably well. But still, in this, I've actually started looking and going, oh, that's a book about this. And I've got an interest now mm. in reading up on like a number of topics and histories within the world because yeah. it just, it really does a fantastic job of doing that kind of thing of every time you turn a corner, it introduces something new. And whether it's, it's a character it's or whatever. It's an interesting thing, though, because like the actual start of the game, as in the first few minutes you spend in Pills of Eternity, will have you rolling your eyes thinking it's generic fantasy because they it's, it literally starts the game. You're on a caravan of wagons. You're an adventurer. You will have created that um, just beforehand. And you uh, your, your caravan's stopped by a tree in the road and you're deserted in like some creepy mystical ruins. And you're like, what? Come on, this sounds like... A fantasy RPG, and then once you get past that, it starts surprising you almost immediately. You know, it's a funny thing that video games don't have to do, but like TV does, whereby you know TV or music or whatever has to grab you so quickly. Same with books; it's all about that first sentence that makes you read the first paragraph. Yeah, yeah. Video games is like shit. You paid your money; we'll make you sit through whatever beginning we choose, and you'll look for the entertainment. <laughs> That's what's lovely about pillars, though, because you you expect that you're ready for it. You're ready for like a tutorial section. You you sit there and go, nothing of interest is going to happen for about half an. God, you know, Fallout 2 is my favourite game. No, I need, to, I need to just say, and then loads of interesting stuff yeah, happens yeah. within, like, yeah, okay. immediately. Just oh, right, right. It's just that first few minutes, you will, you don't expect it because... It just tricks you, and then it just goes, oh, loads of stuff's happening, and then it's just, like, this ridiculous cascade of things happen, like dominoes, until when you finish the exposition, you're just like, it, you're already... Well, I was, I was like, I'm really interested in this world. And from that point onwards, it's just been a real... Blast. The only problem I've had actually is I've occasionally had that very old school problem. I had a big problem with Fallout 2 of like knowing what you have to do but not being quite able to work out how to do it, especially in terms of navigating. I've oh, had yeah. things where like, well, there's this one bit where basically I'm going into this castle to try and kill this guy. And, um, as you do, yeah. As you do. Mm-hmm. Although obviously it turns out that when you're about to kill him, you suddenly start to realise that actually maybe killing him is a really bad idea and you kind of get into that problem of being like, oh God, it doesn't matter what I do here. Both of these decisions are shit. Both these decisions are going to come and bite me at some point. And I swear, in like ten, I'm looking forward to it. But in you know. ten years, that's going to be such a trope of like late noughties RPG making of like <laughs> everything's great. You have two choices, but oh, which choice is the yeah. good? But no, no, no. This does it much, much better. Sure, this does it. Like because the thing is, we've got into that habit now of, of grey morality just being like fucking bollocks. Like of being like, <laughs> oh, do you want this boy to die or? This woman to die. And like, it's like the, the Dragon Age thing of, um, uh, do you want to instill the mayor who's a racist but is good at his job or do you want to take a chance on the... That was I loved that back one. then. That was a great... No, one. it's, it's like, fine and it's exciting initially but like, I tell you, when you play... As soon as you... The birth of text adventures like 80 Days and like um, Summer Sea, people from that text adventure background and the, the fact that I'm starting to play RPGs made by them now is just blowing... All the trad RPGs, by sure. Bioware, by Obsidian, out of the water. Like in Sunless Sea, the stuff you can do, there's awful, awful, awful stuff you can, the worst stuff I've ever done in a video game that you can do in Sunless Sea. And I did it because I wanted to follow that thread and it doesn't reward you for it. And you just end it, which then makes you look inwards at yourself and you're saying, why did, yeah. I, why did I do that? The answer being because it was there. And it's a fascinating thing for a video game to do rather than this, ah, uh, well, neither of these options the really shades, matter. No, but the shades here are much more subtle in Pillars. And that's what's really impressed me with it so far is the fact that it's not as simple as being like both of these options are bad. It just leaves you feeling very ambiguous about mm. how things I'm, are I'm still out. kind of 
annoyed with myself or a bit confused with myself with the decision I made in the game earlier today. I haven't been able to shake. And I remembered, I hadn't. I, this happened to me. I remember this happened to me in Baldur's Gate 2 and I'd forgotten about it until today when I was playing. Where I got to the end of this bit and I got to the point where I was supposed to kill this guy. And after after talking to a few more people, after getting to the assessment, I almost was tempted just to, instead of having this encounter, just leave the castle and then just you know what, come if, back like way later when I've had time to think about <laughs> it. It's like, I'm not going to get any more information, but I just don't well, this is the thing. want to make the choice. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think ambiguity that you're describing is in vogue now. I think it's that kind of, you don't necessarily know what decision to make because you know what? Morality is complicated. Mm. Whereas in real life, actually, the way we choose to live our lives... We commit to things. We earnestly believe that, given all the facts, that something is accurate. No, I know, but that's the problem. Is it's when, and this is what Pillars is really good at. Well, sure, but Mass Effect is giving did it. you more facts. Mass Effect before. did it as well. Mass Effect—they got really good at it by Mass Effect Three. I distinctly remember when you decide to do with the Krogan genophage and you can reverse it and then it lets you make the decision and it gives you the prompt and just as you're about to press the button you get a phone call from someone else giving you more information or a space phone call, I guess. Was, yeah. No, I know, I know. It's it's a, just a little bit less, I don't know, it's this thing of being like, somebody asks you to kill someone, you're like, okay, and then you find out that actually they had kind of a bit more motivation to kill that person than you thought they did. And that kind of maybe slightly... But see, this is exactly oh, what God, I'm are we talking, talking about. about. Are you, oh, wait, are you on about the... Is this? Did this come from a bear cave? Is a bear cave no, a no, story no, here? No, 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 that, no. But, a, that, but again, that's a great that, example of it. Is yeah. the, it's the fact that it's I just we can't. I don't there's want a, there's a curveball. There's another curveball. Yeah. There's another curveball, and it just leaves you in a position where you're just like, I don't know what to do. Mm. And the problem is, it's like you've got this this guy. You sort of think, well, that information that he's told you, like, if I didn't tell you all the details, doesn't necessarily mean that he's bad. But it might mean that there's going to be more problems down the line. But then this guy who you meet, who is supposedly he's a bad guy, and he's done some bad things and stuff. When you actually finally meet him, you're like, he seems pretty with it. And okay. he seems like actually like he knows he's done some bad things, but he's he really is looking for a way to put that to an end. So, and you're like, do I give this guy a chance or do I give the other guy a chance? Here's so, my pitch. Yeah. For the longest time, including in Fallout, RPGs all came from this D&D basis that you could be good or evil. And that was just the done thing. You could be comedy evil or like Jedi good. And now we're in the sort of like afterglow of that whereby now everything is grey. There is never committing to any kind of morality. We're not allowed to do it because all decisions are very complicated. And I think after this, we're going to reach a middle ground whereby we can actually have characters who commit to a plausible belief system, but, you know, which is not necessarily tangled up in all kinds of compl complex stuff. Well, this is what this actually seems to do pretty well. And the fact that the decisions you make, like the, the, the problem is the encounters you're set up in are always kind of a bit fixed and a bit set up to never allow you an easy way out. But it still always gives you the option to just behave like an absolute dick or behave like an absolute saint. But there's just lots more flexibility in between. We were talking okay. before about the, the fact that one of the advantages of, of going back to this older style is that you get a bigger game or, you, or a bigger world to explore. That also comes into the, the way the dialogue's handled as well because the you way it's presented... You have way more options yeah, if you don't every, have yeah, voice acting. Yeah. Exactly. Or even, you know, like when you're, you've got a dialogue window and your characters will be static in the background and there'll be like a circle around the ones that are talking, that's about as far as they go with, you know, representing people talking. But it means that you, you can get in, into a lot more detail in that dialogue window. And... It really gives you a chance to like interrogate everyone about everything when you've got to make a decision about anything. It gives you a chance to immediately be like, yeah, this is the right thing to do, I'm going to do it. Or to just be like, Look, can you just talk to me a bit more about this? <laughs> yeah. like, it does, And also it just allows you to be quite like either just nasty or quite just, just being like, I just want money. I don't care about this. Mm. Like, and Classic. it does remind me of Fallout 2 is quite good at that, of giving you like a, quite a spread of abilities to like let you play things off each other in different ways and like, it's a bit like that. But they've also nailed the whole thing of, you know, the big problem in Fallout 2 is that basically if you were stupid, if you had low intelligence, your dialogue was like, yeah. you were an idiot, which was really funny at the yeah. time. But, but in this, they've done a nice thing with the skills. So it's like all of the different skills you level up all give you, like, all skills and stats give you different uh, conversation options. I mean, oh, that's something okay. that most RPGs do, but this one seems to do it like I feel, yeah, I feel like they've grown out of that. More modern RPGs have grown out of that because they have these... They don't want to spend time working on dialogue options that only you know a tenth of people will see. Yeah. So yeah. because Pillars knows you know it's a little bit easier for them to flesh that. And stuff it does out. help you. It does help you sort of shape a sense of character. Yeah. For like in the, with my character, like I, he's mainly he's just got like really he's really tough. He's not like strong. He's not very good at dealing damage, but he's just very good at taking damage. He's basically the, the tank for the team. Mm. But because of that, because he's just tough looking, it means that like. He's generally a really nice, understanding guy, but 
occasionally when he needs to he threatens to kill people and whenever he threatens to kill people people listen <laughs> this is this thing of like what's this my guy good at he's good at threatening people but he's a nice man <laughs> oh I'm so gonna down my, 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 guy, my guy's got a, a pet bear which I really wish featured more heavily in the dialogue but I, that's that's one of the examples when, when it doesn't Whenever I'm having an argument, I should have an option that is point at the bear and like just be like, Look. point at bear. Yeah, I'm, you know, we could have an argument and we could pretend that we're gonna have a fight here. But I've got a pet bear that follows me around and is like my trusted companion. And the, compa- the companions you get, like so far, though, I've got like a team of six now, I think. And every time I've met a character that is like, I've wanted them to come along, I'm actually gonna be a bit gutted when I reach the point where I have to then go. But one one person needs to not be with him, yeah. just <laughs> because they're the all like really interesting. You've got. It like, doesn't do the Dragon Age thing where everybody has a follows you in a camp. Uh, it yeah, probably a, does. Well, it will do because there's a stronghold thing. That was a stretch goal actually on Kickstarter. The Kickstarter thing was that you've got you've got a stronghold that you can upgrade um, over time by spending money, and then you can like it seems like you can do loads of stuff with that. And, and then underneath the underneath the stronghold, you have like a massive dungeon. Is that the fifteen tier one or whatever? Yeah, is that, that, that yeah. was another like Kickstarter thing. That is that's. Cool. Um, yeah, like, I, but it, that seems like a bad place to put a strong. No, but that's the thing is it's tied in really nicely. Because oh. it, it talks about this idea of being like, hey, you've got this place, it's yours now, but there's something underneath it. And, <laughs> what? and it's, it's, ended it up, it's ended up murdering everybody who's ever lived here. Well, now it's so like, maybe you should deal with it, but I mean, you don't have to, whatever. It's starting to sound like Sunless Sea. Yeah, it's, you know, it's actually, I've been really impressed by how dark uh, it's been so far in the fact that, and I always found especially what I loved about games like Baldur's Gate 2 and what I loved about Fallout 2 was maybe because they weren't graphic, because it was all like written descriptions, they could get away with having subject matter dealing with subject matter yeah, which sure. was really adult and really yeah. nasty sometimes mm-hmm. or just fading to black which yeah of course which the Fallout games that um, but I don't know how dark and nasty Pillars gets but I th- already there's been, been some, already which are really grisly I remember this yeah like the, um, the, the very first kind of town that you enter immediately like shows you what kind of game that's going to be yeah um, it's it's fascinating and it is I, I'm just enjoying having that thing if you meet characters and you're like I don't know what to make of you but come along with me for a journey like have it's nice to have an RPG where you're bringing someone along again and you're not just like oh you're the rogue and at some point not as in assassin like as yeah. in like like in Mass Effect you're like all oh, right you're a badass um, there's going to be points in the plot where we end up fighting with each other <laughs> but we'll be fine whereas in this old style of game you're like hey come along sure because you want to like learn more about them and listen to them more but you're like you kind of also know you're like at some point I'm probably going to kill you <laughs> like <laughs> really is that thing of being like we are opposed and like I like you start getting that party bickering where they're like having a go oh, with each that, other yeah. but it's like not quite bickering it is like a serious problem and you're like yeah sooner or later this is going to come to a head and I'm going to side with this guy <laughs> so this ties back into the the, the thing we've been talking about throughout this if if this was um, um you know a, a more modern RPG they you can't do that too much because you can't spend time working on a character that some people kill off at a certain stage in the game unless you make a big deal out of it unless that's a big yeah. important moment in the game that defines your characters or whatever because it's just it's so expensive to do that you can't you can't flesh out characters and, and work on voice acting if only half the people are going to see them. The latest uh, uh, character, up to a point. Latest catch on my in my party is uh, basically an Inuit dwarf um, who Excellent. has a small like it's like a little it's a dog but it looks like a really cute like poodly like poodle wolf. <laughs> She's is this, awesome. Is She's she brilliant. a ranger or? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, but yeah. I actually, I actually, a, a highlight of playing Pillars of Eternity so far is I found a dog and. I like gave it a pat on the head and was like, "You're my dog now." And then I had a dog in my inventory. <laughs> I, you, 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 could, cat, you can put him cat. in your yeah. There's a there's a pet slot, probably a stretch goal, and then you can drag him into it. And then you've just got a dog that follows you around. Really? That's yeah. Oh, I haven't found the pet slot. Oh, yet. okay. Yeah, yeah, it so, follows you around rather yeah. than it. You just hold it in your. But like sack uh, at what? first, when I was like, "Oh, where's the dog gone?" <laughs> it's like, "What the fuck? Uh, inventory? Ah, dog. There we are. Excellent." That's crazy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, this is all obviously uh, 
based on actually no, this podcast is going up tomorrow, which when the embargo is going to end, so it's fine. I don't. I, I've actually hadn't. They've been because Bloodborne came out. Probably they they've been you've been able to talk about the first fifteen hours of the game. Okay. Well, um, I mean, I haven't even anyway. played. I've only played for five hours, so I am completely safe in embargo land, yeah. and I can say that based on the first five hours, it's really really good. Mm. And actually, I probably say that the most impressive thing about it is the fact that I've got Pillars of Eternity and Bloodborne, and at the moment. I want to play Pillars of Eternity a bit more, Jeez. which is really something. Yeah. Um, it's it's got me, and I'm fascinated to to see where it goes with like, the mad story stuff. Before the rest of the, because just nipping in there before the entire internet's talking about it, should we talk just a little bit about impressions of Bloodborne? Because yeah. there's just a couple of things I want to say. Because I was around your house doing shut up and sit down stuff, mm-hmm. and I think you were in the kitchen making tea. The doorbell rang and I went to get it and I think I just went, Matt! <laughs> Matt! Because I knew it was from Sony and I knew it was Bloodborne. And we put it in the... Uh, in the in PlayStation, PlayStation box. 4. And then it was so exciting. We put it in and we watched it install. <laughs> wow. then, we, then we downloaded the patch. Oh, that patch. Then you Good. got Shadowplay rigged to... Oh, man, it was great. Yeah, got But it. after that... So, I mean, the thing that I do like, and just more than anything, is that From Software have been allowed to do something that, you know, it's clearly Demon Cells again, but also something with just this radically different uh, wrapper on it. It is. I don't think it is just a wrapper, you know? I'm not sure about it. There's all kinds of small changes, but, I mean, let's be honest. If that game was made by a different developer, the word Dark Souls would be the first two words in every review. Oh, no, of course. Of sure. course. I mean, it's... But, yeah, no, there is all kinds of stuff. But the thing is, because you look at, like, you know, the way that Demon's Souls went on to Dark Souls and Dark Souls to Dark Souls 2, it's, like, massively derivative. Yeah. Whereas this, like, it does feel and play very differently, and that's my excuse for being shit at it. <laughs> I, I, I've only played that, uh, the initial demo that went around some of the shows, where, you, like, it was amazing. If you died, that was the end of your demo. Yeah. I say amazing. Very cruel. Um, but like the initial impressions for me were that, was that it was just a much a, a more... It encouraged you to be much more aggressive as the player. Um, yeah. Instead of holding a shield up, kind of slowly stalking around an enemy, figuring out it's, it's a lot more... It wants de- you to be in there and attacking all the time. Uh, I can't remember where I read this, but I definitely agree with whoever said it. was. It's, it's Dark Souls with just a touch of Devil May Cry. Well, well, the dashing and the dodging seems really fast, especially it's because I've seen videos of people dashing, which is faster than you do it, Matt. Like crazy fast. Yeah, I think dashes. I think there's like it's an unlock or something. Well, a stat thing. I haven't even got to the point where you can unlock your stats yet. I've hardly played it at all. I've played it for about an hour. But just uh, and actually, we should also mention that I did like you were playing it and I was watching, and there was just this slight frisson of you were genuinely upset that you kept dying. And the yeah, <laughs> it's mainly because the loading screens are a real. Crazy. But I mean, apparently that is going to be patched. Um, people have told me, so that's actually hopefully next time I play it, it loading screens, loading times will not be as bad. But if they don't improve massively, it's going to be like a real pain. Yeah, and it's a problem because it meant I was playing the game differently. Usually, I'd be like kind of psyching myself up and going, "Come on, you can do it," and focusing on just repeating one task again and again and again because that's what I did with Dark Souls. Is that thing of mastery of being like, you know what, I'm going to fight this thing and I'm going to fight it again and again and again until it's easy. And that's what you do. But I'm not going to do that if it takes 35 <laughs> seconds to load every time you die. You've counted. I remember... No, I just saw it in the video editing <laughs> software. I didn't oh, count. okay. I, uh, I distinctly remember a line in the original... A PC Gamer's review of the original Thief when I was growing up. Or like a review of Thief 2 or something. But it talked about, you know, just idly questioning whether Thief would have been so scary if the loading times if you died hadn't been, I think, 70 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Which is... The first Thief was terrifying. I know, but for reasons that we've apparently forgotten. Uh, but no, it just it was also great. Just just the art design on Bloodborne is the mm-hmm. last thing I want to say about it. The uh, the fact that everything is long and spindly and very Victorian. Like I'm so you know bored of of orcs and elves and trolls and all this stuff. And yeah, yeah, you're you gonna know. love Pillars of Eternity. I know, right? You got orcs. It's got the odd troll. I've seen. I'm not sure. If- I mean. I, I can do that stuff. I'm, I'm loosely running a D and D campaign right now. Like it's how are you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you know, I, I do it. I'm just I'm bored of it. But you know, I'll still play the good games. You know, it's fine. Mm. But yeah, just this Victoriana is so much fun, and the fact that it's not really steampunk either. The fact that they've managed to do this just bloody it, and just resist the steampunk bloody. thing. And it's I do. Just I, real yeah, and spectacles. I love the yeah, I love the setting, and I really like the way that in that kind of initial area, like. The character, the the 
you know, you're just fighting against like nutters with knives and and fire and that. But then you realize that actually they're slightly different. Like the, what they're holding actually dictates like what kind of an enemy they are, and you need to learn that. And but then also they talk. They talk, and it's this idea of you go and knock on doors, and people go, "Oh, what are you doing out? You shouldn't be out on a hunt <laughs> night." And there's this idea that you've just been dropped into this really like. I think there's something a bit more macabre about like having like these streets full of these murderous, horrible. People. No, it's great. While people are inside having a laugh, know they're out there. Yeah, that was yeah. so creepy when you're you're fighting these horrible, broken, huge ravens which can't walk, and then you can hear people laughing and knocking glasses over inside. Yeah, it's good, and it just it's just the difference between a great art team being told draw twenty trolls and just come up with twenty enemies. And it like everything I saw you fight in that game was just a bit interesting, a bit odd. You don't know what's going to be around that corner. It's the summer sea thing. It again. is, and I th- what the main thing I've noticed so far is down to in Dark Souls Two, it felt like they regularly used large mobs of enemies as difficulty spikes that were a bit cheap. And whenever you faced a lot of enemies at once, it was always kind of like a bit of a like, oh, we'll throw this in because it'll be hard. And it was always, almost always, sprung on you a bit. It was almost always like. Either a trap that you couldn't see and it just happened and you had to deal with it, or it was something that you could see was going to happen when you got to this point, but it was unavoidable nonetheless. It was like, you have to go through this final point whether you like it or not. However, in the opening section of Bloodborne, you've got a lot of enemies, like a lot of enemies, but some of them are patrolling and some of them are moving around. And it means that there is this, when you're fighting, there is this sense of aggression and there is this sense of like, you need to keep fighting, you need to keep being on the attack and you can't just dawdle around. But also, it doesn't mean you play it in an aggressive way. It means you've actually got to be a lot more cautious about picking your fights. Sure. It actually weirdly reminds me loads of Dota in a weird way of it being like when people are bad at playing Dota, it's because they don't commit. You know, they they either hmm. they kind of half run away and half fight and they kind of dawdle in the middle, where it's like that's you could I mean with a sword and shield in, in Dark Souls you can you can go into a fight without committing mm-hmm. and I used to do that all the time <laughs> you just stand at the edge and you just sort of like stand near it thinking what do you do Yeah, what do Teach you do <laughs> and you just try and like be really cautious until you've got a measure for what you're fighting whereas in this it's just like you either avoid fighting by not going near it or running away from it or if you're going to step in and fight then you have to yeah. just fight you can't be like I don't know should I run away like yeah and I haven't quite got my head around that yet because it is such a different way to play a game um, compared to like um, what I'm used to at Dark Souls. But it's very interesting. It's I mean, a fun problem. It means that you don't end up trying to kind of like break the AI as much or at least, you know, you're not kiting enemies towards areas where you can fight them better. You're not trying to figure out their aggro range. It's just, yeah, you are fighting or running away. Yeah, it makes it a bit looser, I think. I mean, I'll be interested to see how, how it kind of progresses and continues. Uh, but it is, it is. You're right. I mean, there is a bit of like devil may cry in there, especially because I, I get the impression there's a lot less weapons and armor um, to collect. Because like, oh, man, are the interesting. Like, but no, that's the thing is the, the few that I've seen. The ones you get are incredible. Yeah, every weapon's got like some weird alternate modes. I going saw on. Rich Stanford posting a GIF earlier, which was like, or a Vine, which was like. One of the weapons is a sword within a sword. So it's like swings this small sword and then as part of the combo like clicks this small sword into a larger sword which looks like it's like a massive scabbard but is also a sword <laughs> and then finishes off the combo with the big sword. Yeah, there's a similar weapon with the the kind of the, the big weighty hammer that you can you can pick. I remember in the demo you you could pick for a few different weapon sets and the way that works is that it is just generally your your normal default stance is just a sword but if you switch it he, he reaches back, stabs the sword into this big stone block, and it becomes a, a big, like, Massive two-handed hammer. hammer. Yeah, which is... It's Monster Hunter is what it is. Monster Hunter has always had the uh, the, the two-step weapons. Right. I think, yeah, Joyce Grebbles was tweeting about this. The, uh, you know, the, the press the button and the weapon becomes another weapon, and you mm. work that into combos. Yeah, that's, that's the that is one, That's 100% Monster Hunter. It's not just pick out of these two weapons for different fights, it's switch between them in the, yeah, the combat. That's, that's the Monster Hunter, that's the, oh god, the gun lance and the... Something else I forgot. Well, the new one is like the something uh, thing, power thing. Can't remember. It's fine. Yeah. But I've got the like Monster Hunter. Ago, What's that? We were all just about Monster <laughs> I'm still playing Monster Hunter. I just can't remember words. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, in Bloodborne, I've gone for the cane, which is like a cane which you can click and it oh, becomes so like cool. an Ivy style whip, you know, like from Soul Calibur. Oh, cool. It's so like it's, it's a it's cool. like a magician's trick cane where you press a button on it and then it all, all the the wire in it goes limp. Goes and yeah, so yeah, sure. All the bits of it fall apart. So then it becomes oh, just a, it becomes a serrated like 
So it basically means it's like very precision stabbing or it's like swinging yeah. around wildly. Um, oh, what an idea for a thing. It is. It's really cool. I think, I mean, what I'm enjoying most about it is not really knowing what's going on. Like, it's sort of like, a, it got inklings of lots of things. Like, there's a creepy doll, and I'm like, yeah, that's probably going to be where you level up. And you've got these <laughs> gravestones, which is like, yeah, they're probably going to be the different levels in the game. But it's just, I don't know, after playing Dark Souls 2, in which, like, I kind of, there weren't really many mysteries, and the things that I kind of thought, oh, this is a mystery, just actually ended up just always being mysteries because they weren't mysteries in the first place, if that makes sense. I, I still, I, and I know Dark Souls 2 is is not considered... It's not a terrible I, I, I enjoyed um, specifically being part of that game on launch, and I, in fact, I, they might well have been you two were in a pub somewhere just chatting about how we'd gone about the initial few areas and where bosses appear and, like... Oh, yeah, I remember like, that pub. Yeah. That still is... Being, I think... The, these games in particular are, are just so much fun to be around that conversation whilst it's happening, it's happening yeah. I do yeah. think Dark Souls 2 Plus is great I just think it's less great than Dark Souls I think Dark Souls 2 is good but you know that's like <laughs> this is like I was having different scales like you know like it's an IGN good compared to my no I don't know like, it was, no it was a good game I think it was just it didn't really bring anything new to the table yeah sure, um, sure. Yeah. I mean I'm actually just does. being sharing and if you said it was as good as Dark Souls 1 I would be like no it's only good <laughs> no, yeah, it's nowhere near as good as Dark Souls 1 um, but yeah Bloodborne I'm sure I'll be talking about loads more in the future but yeah I think so far it is it's very difficult not to recommend if you've been a fan of that sort of thing in the past. It's just good. It's creepy. It's so fresh. All the, yeah, that, again, that Victorian armor is just so sweet. Everything is, although I will say that I'm annoyed that your initial character model has, sus the suspenders are hanging off, which is very fashionable now. You know, like you have the suspenders which are part yeah, of your belt, yeah, but then they hang yeah. loose. And it's like, Quins, please tell me, tell me this isn't there you. No, it, do it, dude, it doesn't, it doesn't annoy me now. Okay. Whatever. Now it's a fashionable thing. But if you're setting your game in Victorian times when suspenders were genuinely used to hold your trousers up, <laughs> then yeah, it does annoy me because your trousers should be falling down. Fuck, Fuck that game. <laughs> yeah. It's not like I'm not going to buy it, yeah. but it is stupid. It looks a lot of fun. Uh, also, like, how cool is is it if if you're into this type of game? There is a real proper good reason to have a console as well. I know there's yeah. finally a reason to have a console. D yeah. Destiny was that for Man, a lot of people. Helldivers is, is is really fun. It's really good, and I, I haven't got the chance. To, I, I avoided talking about it today because neither of you two have played it. Sure. But Helldivers is really good. I'll try. Resogun was really good, but it wasn't the reason to, to like. You want something a little bit special. No, a bit Bloodborne's big. the reason to buy a PS4. Yeah. Helldivers is just the other thing you can play. But I mean, as, thing is, as, as you say, Destiny yeah. was also very strong. I think a lot of people, a lot of people. Um, got the wrong idea of Destiny, like because it's this weird thing how there is this sort of uh, there's a real cultural like uh, clash there that doesn't kind of make sense if you look at it. Like that, if you haven't played Destiny and you just look at the internet, the general consensus is don't play Destiny. That game is shit. Mm -hmm. But then there are also like millions of people who play Destiny and who played it for a very long time. Eventually, lots of people like myself will have now since wandered off from it because there just wasn't enough to do. But after like after playing it for about 100, 150 hours, like, which is yeah. no small thing. So there is this weird sentiment that Destiny is is not a good game. But only well, because you like, away, I mean, Before, before away I, I said it, it depends if you, you were into that particular type of thing. It, it was a great reason to have a console. I commute with someone that plays a lot of Destiny. I get why people no, no, sure. I'm don't not, want to do it. I'm not saying to you, I'm just saying like, you know, if, if some if people are like, you know, thinking about buying a PS4 because they want to play Bloodborne, then mm. I, they should for sure get I Destiny think people well. shouldn't write off Destiny basically. They should find and see if they have a friend to play Destiny with. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's I think it's think. maybe not a case of playing it yet, because I think now we're coming close to the zone where probably in this summer they will uh, release a version of Destiny which has all the expansions in it. In one, they definitely they always do this. It's basically it's the like the World of Warcraft model, isn't it? Of being like, well, if you get it now, then you'll get all the other stuff or some of the other stuff. Oh, I mean, stuff. I'll do it. I just don't know if it'll be this summer, but it, it might be. It'll probably be the end of the year. Probably be the end of the year. But I don't know. Christmas just, Destiny bundle, yeah. Even if it's just a case of like jumping in and next time there's a big event, but I just say don't write it off because a lot of people seem to write it off automatically now, which is really odd because mm. it's like everyone's just. I don't know, everyone's just overridden the fact that there are millions of people who love it. It just game. leaves a bad taste in your mouth. It's funny, like... It, I know, yeah, you're right. So, you know, the general consensus is really grim, even from people like me who've played it for like 250 hours, and I'm like, oh, <sighs> you're one of them. Jeez, uh, me and Matt. Yeah, no, crazy. me and Matt both. Okay, so... Here we go. We've got questions. some questions. We've got okay. a question from Count Elmdor. Uh, it's probably not a real Sounds count. Sounds like a Bloodborne character. We should, we should hedge our bets, though, and be polite anyway. 
Yes, sir. How do you greet the count? Is there Greetings, a... count. count. <laughs> oh. I totally just failed my middle class role. I have no idea what. I don't know how you greet a count. My parents failed me. But... Sounds like the start to a children's joke. How do you greet a count? And then it's got a joke. <laughs> Five, six. And then it's got a joke. Yeah, Chris is right. Okay, anyway. He says, what's the game you've played the most of ever in hours? Ever? Yeah, and was it worth it? So what's the game by hours you've played the most in your life? Was it worth it? Oh, man, my answer is crazy. It's the game I played the most. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. Are you ready? It was a mod for the original Unreal Tournament called Thievery, which turned Thief into a multiplayer game where like eight people would play guards and eight people would play thieves and it was staggeringly good. Oh, was this in... Because was Thief in the Unreal Engine? No, it wasn't. They ported Thief, including the fact like players turning semi-invisible if they're half in light and fully invisible if they're in shadow. Yeah. They ported all of that. You know, they, they ported some, Vine yeah. Arrows to the Unreal Tournament. Because I remember there was a ton of really interesting stuff going on in the Unreal uh, Tournament. Yeah, it was the engine. golden era of modding. It was like Half-Life and Unreal Tournament. Did those the people just... behind that go on to... They did. They went. The, they went on to make. Remember Alien Swarm? Probably yeah. not. I don't uh, that Alien Swarm was the next mod they did, and that got picked up and sold by uh, Valve. It was one of the selling big selling mods, like Natural Selection for the Half Life Two, I think. Oh, okay. but no, they're they're a hugely talented, talented, talented mod team, and I played a lot of time. How much? Man, I played it like every night for like. A year and a half, just four hours. You know, I probably there are other games I've probably played for as long, like you know MMOs and stuff. But but that's the one I that's the biggest in my mind. Right? Yeah, it's just huge. I think mine was in, the biggest in my mind was probably PSO. Um, I don't know how many hours I put into that, but actually that has since been eclipsed by Dota. Like Dota, I put in nine hundred hours into, uh-huh. which is insane. Yep. It's just actually it's not insane. Though, the game's bottomless. It's, it's an esport, you know. It's... I know, but I put nine hundred hours into it in a period of about a year. Like it's just. I it's, mean, that's insane. <laughs> it's crazy. I played a lot of Dota, but no, mine isn't particularly surprising. World of Warcraft, and I don't regret it. Actually, I had some. It's some of the most fun times I've had in video games. It was definitely the only time in my life when I could really uh, manage to fall into a game that hard but hmm. it was it was good I I ended up having some really close friendships on there and um, yeah that's that's if people play World of Warcraft for a long time it's because they make friends on it yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I, I didn't wasn't even the, the rating stuff by the end of it I was really into the, the PvP on that game and um, played it for the competitive nature of it similar to why I like Dota 2 yeah I mean to be um, honest I don't, regret, well, I don't regret my time with Dota. all three of our answers though are social games we, yeah, play, we yeah. played them because of the friends we had played I mean I've, I've got friends out of it like there are there are people now like who yeah, the people I've started playing Dota 2 with like are people who are now like really good friends with and I wouldn't be as good friends with them if not for it, so that's yeah. probably true of my recent answer because I don't it, physical card games don't have an answer. But I play a lot of Netrunner, which is a collectible card game, and I've made so many friends through that. The people we go climbing with, Matt, uh, you and me, like that massive crossover of Netrunner, Netrunner and climbing. That is true. Yeah, <laughs> um, um, to happen. Okay, I mean, let's I like have questions. a They're like little little do, 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 messages do, 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 in bottles from James. The, from James. Hello, James, James Thomas says playing through the original Legend of Zelda, drawing a map of Hyrule as I went. What was the last game you drew a map for? Oh, man. I want to... Ah, there was something recently. Zombies Run, I started drawing a map for. That's insane. I read a really interesting discussion with the people. So the funny thing is, in Zombies Run, you know, if you go on, like, a run, the plot line for that run might be like, oh, you're running to New Canton and they don't trust us over there. And... So after my first five runs, I had I, New Canton is over the River Thames, that's to the north. Right. And then this block of scientists is to the southeast and everything. And I haven't played it much since then, but I was talking to the people that make Zombies Run and they were saying after around season one, they got a continuity expert in to come and read the scripts so they could actually do a map. And the continuity expert took one look at the scripts and said, no, this is impossible. You need to, you need to be near three mountains, eight towns, two rivers, uh, an old mine. I'm making it up now, but like a spooky mansion, 14 hospitals. Excellent. And uh, just like said, I, I can't help you. Your game is beyond me. <laughs> too much. What about you guys? I can't remember to be honest. I, I, I was going to say something like um, we mentioned Morrowind before and the, the way in which that game kind of... Uh, taught your directions is just something that doesn't happen anymore yeah you actually just have to be like in, take in a left RPGs. at the yeah. bug and some of those landmarks were kind of hard to spot and yeah I probably 
will have done it around that game, but not anything recent, which is a shame. It's, it's quite a nice experience. To yeah, I can't think do of some anything. Put, it's a personal C, I, any excuse for me to write stuff down on paper, I love that stuff. Sun of Sea has a really good thing, of course. It actually nails the sailing thing whereby, like, you'll have a, you'll be plotting a really long expedition because yeah. you know you'll have food and fuel waiting for you at your destination, which is like some island you've never been to, but you know the directions. Sure. And so you sail off, and, there's, and it, you don't have a specific line because the numbers aren't there for you, but it's like... You're estimating, like, if I don't turn around now, I won't be able to make it back to London. Which means you commit to that journey. It's like, then you then you don't turn around and you're like, okay, right, I'm either going to find it or die. <laughs> it's too late now. And, now. and then, you know, you don't That's find it wonderful. and you get back to London by the skin of your teeth or something. That's Which is a proper sailing thing. I love that. Oh, yeah. 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 It makes sense for that game. No, I... I kind of disappoint. I can't think of one to be honest. That's Boom. most most games you press M and oh, does that train Odyssey count? Where you draw? No, that's what I was thinking as well. I've, I've done that, but that doesn't count because you draw them in the thing. And that's just a bit. <laughs> actually, it's fun at first, but after a while, it's just a bit of a pain. It could like, be better. It's a cool idea that isn't executed as well as it could be. Yeah, yeah. Um, next up, we have got like two questions. This one, like uh, this, the first question actually leads on to the second one a bit. Be really brief with this, but uh, uh, someone called Jack Jack Orty says the best. Way, how's the best way to get into the industry as a journalist? Lack of context is a big issue, in my opinion. Get these cool questions a lot, and I find it a bit confusing because every time they've been answered like so comprehensively, um, but people keep asking, which leads me to believe that people either don't like the answers they're given or don't listen <laughs> to people. Uh, I think it's this probably isn't the case for Jack, but it's definitely the case that a lot of people will ask you, "How do I get in the industry as a substitute for doing any actual work?" Yeah, I, I get the impression that that is sometimes the case that people want you to give them like help somehow. Yeah, like and it's like I can't do that. I no, can't, I can't help anyone. The answer's the same for me as it always is, which is like if you want to be a games writer, like are you writing right now? Who, yeah, who, yeah. Like because if you're not, there is actually. People won't believe this when you tell them, but any editor I know, any editor I have ever worked for, if a new writer sent them copy that was great, they would hire them. They would pay for it immediately. Yeah. Because new editors, actually, there there is a dearth of people who do this really well, who turn in good copy. I mean, even great writers will turn in copy that needs to be edited. If you can turn in copy that doesn't need to be edited, that has the images and everything size that obeys the word counts and fits on the site because they haven't covered it recently... You'll get the like, you'll get a freelance yeah thing, right? you'll get a freelance gig that's that's basically it you just you do it if it's you too- if basically if you're if you're good then you do it and you get paid <laughs> and if you're not good then you do it and you get good that's that's kind of how it works is sometimes people just want to work out a way to get a job and it doesn't work like that it's like you keep doing it until you're good at it and then money just happens you offered me an interview so I guess that this is a, a, a weird thing um, this is before we knew each other but um, of course yeah Yeah, like the, I guess the only reason I got the interview was because when something cropped up I had videos which is what I was doing to show at that time and that's, yeah. that's it because well, I, I, mean, I had no connection with you beforehand I was like oh hey uh, no you're a really you're a really good example of that actually because people say oh I haven't got any contacts or whatever I didn't have a clue who Chris Pratt was um, I, I, we I had, okay I thought you were going to say I didn't have any contacts when I got in instead I, I just answered well I, I ended up getting in a weird way myself. I ended up I did have contacts when I got okay. in I ended up getting in through a weird way but um yeah, like I didn't know who you were. We just we had a job role coming up. We had loads of applications. We lit stuff. Most of the applications were terrible because it was people who'd gone, oh, I'd love to make videos for a video game website as a job. And then they'd proceeded to borrow a camera or dig a camera out of a cupboard and mm. record their first ever video. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> and it was that thing of being like, this is awful. Like, yeah. And of course, it's awful. that's fine. But, you know, that's... it's mad that people I mean you have to have such incredible natural talent to be able to do that and get anywhere but you've been plugging away just making things on YouTube and I thought I like this guy he's got a nice voice I'm not terribly interested in what he's saying because I'm not interested in this game but there's just something about watching this man talking about games that is just inherently quite nice and I met you and you were a lovely, polite young chap, and mildly terrified. <laughs> uh, pretty poor at making yeah, videos, but took a while. but we knew that you could, you know, you had the the raw ability, and you were already trying. And that's it. But I guess people just say, you know, it's it's a case of if you're already trying, then just just start start doing it. The mm. second question was uh, Paul Davis saying, "Would you ever consider joining up with friends in the industry and making your own gaming site?" And the answer is probably not. I've, Bef- hang on, I, we, we, I, I kind of did that. You kind of, <laughs> you kind of did do Yeah, that. myself and Paul started Shut Up and Sit Down, which is, <clears throat> of course, a board gaming site, but it had the same principles as... Mm-hmm. I was working at Rock Paper Shotgun before that, and I was following the same principles that they did, which was locate a niche that isn't been filled, yeah. Yeah. and fill it quickly and well, and do it for about a year. When did you start? When did I want to? When did you start? <clears throat> about four years ago. 
And we started it on Tumblr, and we did uh, mm. of like a video every month, but the videos were huge back then. They were like half-hour TV specials. Uh, and they took so much time. It was a result of me and Paul being unemployed. And then we did it for about a year, and then we started looking into ways f- to uh, not be poor. <laughs> not be poor. And now, thanks to our fabulous, amazing, endlessly amazing donors, uh, we yeah. for a living. That's the thing. I mean, I think it's not a case it's impossible. It's just that I think within the board gaming realm, it kind of is because it's a niche, which is mm. you can kind of, you know, do really well in it, whereas video games is so incredibly saturated that... Um, yeah. yeah, I think like, there, will, there are specialities within that. I think um, yeah, it's I, about- I, I'd be very sceptical about a brand new game site starting right now unless it's but you know what actually it doesn't feel that way but new niches do appear all the time like esports is a growing that's what I meant yeah so the, those niches are available I meant like the kind of you know uh, a yeah. general game site is would be so hard to muscle and you know what speaking of which uh, you know my partner Leon Alexander has actually just yeah. started off World Course which or which is which was board games indie uh, Boing Boing's indie game site but it's now been revived as a feminist site meaning just a video game site for people who don't necessarily play games. Yeah. Which is, again, a niche that popped up and got filled. Like, you just have to be there and fill it with the... You have to you have to put the time in so that you know the people and have the skills to fill these niches when they come up. But I would absolutely start a, a gaming site in future because I've really... Starting Shut Up and Sit Down has been the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Yeah, I think that's the thing. is It's like they're, they're, if a niche pops up and it's, it's something that is doable and you can get the right people and you get the right resources, but the difficulties are is that you... To get the good people that you want like sometimes everyone's got jobs and the funds you need to to pull together a team you can't really afford and also like the, starting up a traditional site as Brad says now starting up just like a site which is another yeah, game that site, would be you know, mad suicide like, I mean, like you know I, I managed to support myself as a solo entity and do Dark Souls which is like as close as I can get to having my own game site and I'd love to be able to like launch a game site and be like the new giant bomb but you know what giant bomb happened before the economy bombed <laughs> uh, and now just you're never going to be able to do that anymore you know the bottom has fallen out of the advertising business model but it all ties back to the same stuff that you know people like Jack being like oh how do I get into it it's like you don't you, there is no in anymore like the whole thing's fallen apart it's a wet paper bag full of holes like you just you find a niche that interests you and you throw yourself into it and you get good at it and you do it and before you know it you're storming ahead of everyone else and everyone goes well how did they do that like, <laughs> I've never heard of that guy why is he so good I mean that's what YouTube was and that's what yeah. you know, the next big thing will be so, um, for the love of God, people, stop asking questions about how to get a job in games journalism and just start doing some. And if you're good, then you'll end up do- having a job. And if you're not, then you won't. Most people aren't. But anyway, that sounded, pretty, sure. sounded really harsh, but it's the truth, isn't it? Yeah, no, it categorically is. I'm just racking my brain to think of sites that I would read now that don't exist. If someone could, if there was a really good approachable site for text adventures, I would probably read that right now and support it. Because I've got so much out of text adventures recently, and I want someone to tell me which ones are good. But the community is quite inward facing. Mm. Yeah. yeah Just, so if you're listening this right now and have any interest in interactive fiction, there's your niche. Go get a job. Get get good at it. Mm-hmm. Do it for a year, then ask to be paid. By <laughs> if it all goes wrong, it's Quinn's. If it goes wrong, it's my fault. But also, if there's a beautiful site <laughs> in a year's time, I will take all the credit. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, but just make it a hobby. Last thing, most people say, how do I get a job in this? It's like, don't, if you, you will, honestly, it's like throwing yourself on a sword. If you try and, if you think, I want to get a job talking of writing about games for a living, it's like, that is suicide. Like, you will drive yourself insane. Like, just do it because you like it as a hobby. And if you ever get good enough, you might be able to consider it as a job. But if you go in aiming to make money, then my God, like, don't. You will, it's, that's hell. That's my idea of hell. Also, yeah, one, one final point, I guess. There are, I, I know a, a few people that are students that are already writing stuff and managing to, to kind of get their toe in the door. Like, if you if you are maybe studying journalism or studying something with the idea of going into games later on, Start trying to pitch things and 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 get in contact oh, yeah. with people yeah. well before you finish your degree or finish whatever kind of education. That's a classic student mistake, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. The oh. idea that your degree is going to get you a job—it's like absolute nonsense. No, you've got to start getting. But there's some really good writers right now in the UK that are still students. Um, yeah, so absolutely. Like, there's no, there are no walls, there are no barriers. People make you think. The only people who want you to think that you need to get in contact with the PRs and stuff until somehow are PRs. Like you don't need to deal with them at all. <laughs> it's uh, it's a false game. Anyway, it sends on a nice question really briefly. I think you guys might know the answer to this one. Um, says he's kind of getting bored. Ooh. This is from AC Godlyman. Can you suggest any good online co-op games for PC? Um, the expat BFF and I are a bit fed up with Portal. So good online co-op. Ah, I've been playing so much co-op on PC and it's all been local. Yeah, that's the thing. 
that that boom has happened. Matt, you, know, you wanted to end on a good question, but I don't. I don't know if I don't know if I have an answer. There must. Be um, I I keep getting told that I should be playing Project Zomboid with my friends right now. Um, that's not something I can really recommend because I haven't managed to yet. But that's that's my plan for the if future. You if you haven't played it yet, it, it, it gets tiresome quite quickly. But the original Magicka is fantastic fun co-op sure. online. That is true. Get on Skype, do that. Yeah, and I wish Helldivers was out for it's only PS4. I'm working so hard, man. I'm thinking oh, so yeah, hard. I kind of misread it. I have my I have my my pointer over the online bit, and I thought it'd just say co-op, but then I reread it. Well, what would you recommend as a, a co-op thing at the moment? You've been playing something. Oh, what? Well, I've been having so much fun with Chariot, and I want to do a video with that uh, for you. And Chariot might have online co-op, maybe. And if it does, then you should, for the love of God, play Chariot. What's the person's name? AC Godlyman. <laughs> well, Godlyman. Uh, Godlyman. <laughs> oh my God, I feel like I'm Q in the James. God, I mean, be very careful with Chariot. It's a, no, it's a good game, and it's just about two people pulling a chariot through a level. And it's all the puzzles has to do with the fact that you're both working together to rope the chariot up incredibly improbable structures, and it's the hardest thing in the world to do. Basically, uh, it sounds like mountain climbing with wheels. Yeah, it's mountain climbing with wheels, <laughs> and it's a lot of... It, it, it is a game where all you ever say is, have you got it? Have you got it? Don't drop it. Don't drop it. Do not drop it. I've got it. It's fine. Don't drop it. And then you hang... And then you... You let it fall. It's the thing of just letting go. My palms have never been so sweaty. It's it's really funny. Sounds like a lot of fun. I don't know playing. Okay, well, we will wrap this up this week. It's been an, an exciting, wobbly, all-over-the-place week. So many games. <laughs> I feel like I'm just exhausted from the the, the, the weight of, of wanting to play Bloodborne and the Pillars of Eternity <laughs> at the same time. You were so yeah. sad. Yeah, I know, yesterday I was talking to you and you're like, oh man, it's, Pillars of Eternity in the same week. And I'm like, this is the I know I feel terrible because I'm simultaneously aware that it is massive first world problems mm-hmm. but then also it, it it doesn't stop it being something that my brain is really struggling with when I play Bloodborne I'm thinking about Pillars of Eternity and when I play <laughs> Pillars of Eternity I'm thinking about Bloodborne it's like I'm jittery on all over this. I can't be happy with what I've got right now I'm in that sort of like I cannot those long loading screens <clears throat> you your, your mind you have problems I just man. need to forget one of the games exists for a little while I can take I can, I can help you out can we do something with a scalpel. I could take one of those games away with me. No, you can't do that. No, Matt, what I could do is I could do Bloodborne. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.